Whether you're learning the basics or you want to be a rock master, we have a class for you from high level overviews to specific features. Find the training class that fits your needs this year at community.rockrms.com slash classes. Welcome to Rockcast, the podcast dedicated to the rock community. Join us as we delve into behind-the-scenes happenings, offer insights into our community, and explore leadership dynamics. I'm Emily Foreman, and I have with me today John Edmiston and Nick Erdo. Welcome to Rockcast. Nick, we love to start out with where we are and where we're going when it comes to rock versions. What can you tell us? I can tell you a few things. So we have just released version 16.3 to alpha, um, but if you missed a few weeks earlier, we had released 16.2. 16.2 ended up being just a very tiny patch. There was some weird edge case that uh, a couple people people found in 16.1 with check-in, very, uh, very unique situation, but it was important to patch it. So everything that was going to be in 16.2 got pushed to 16.3, and that one fix was put into 16.2. So while all that was happening, we were working on version 15.4, and uh, th that was going through its own alpha and beta testing, which ended up not being, um, we didn't have a lot of alpha and beta testers for 15x, because they a lot of them have moved on to version 16. So if you're listening to this, and for some reason you are still on version 15, and want to be part of our alpha or beta testers, please go to the, to the uh, community site community.rockrms.com slash get involved and go down to the alpha beta testers and let me know. Just fill out that uh, email and let me know that you want to be on the 15 team, V15 team. So having said that, 16.3 should be out. We're you know targeting um, end of this month if we can get through the alpha and beta testing successfully. Great. And one of the big features we've been talking a lot about recently has been uh, the check-in on next gen john do you have an update for us on where that's at yeah so that's probably something maybe even people haven't really heard about but at the end of, of last year coming out of the conference we approached um some churches to say hey do you guys could you guys help us fund the next generation of check-in now when we say next generation we need to be very clear this is moving the current check-in features and functionality to the next gen platform um what we'll get out of that is, you know, everything does need to move to the next gen platform eventually. So that gets us one one more big thing done, one more big notch in the belt done. Uh, but we also wanted to address uh, some performance within check-in. So um, check-in the way it's architected um, through workflows is not necessarily the fastest way to process that data. And since many people are not even using, you know, some of the benefits of that workflow, um, you know, it makes sense to probably pull it out. So we can actually do things much quicker. Uh, so this check-in is not necessarily to add a bunch of new features. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's not what we want to do. Um, what we want to do is just get it over to the next-gen platform at the same time thinking about how we could um, do new things in the future. So part of the first phase of this is not new features, but eventually we, we have some you know really uh, great ideas about how we could change check-in in some drastic ways. Um, for people who want to, but they can also keep what they have. Uh, so here's what you need to know. Like the, when we're done, they'll, you'll still be able to use the old 
check-in system. Uh, our goal is to be able to make that make sure that still runs the way it, it does, and then you can um, uh, gradually move to the new check-in, um, and all your settings kind of come with you. Um, but we want to have plenty of time and space mm-hmm. uh, for shaking that out because there's a lot of weird edge cases within check-ins. Um, one of the fun things that, that you know we were able to do as a part of this is the you know twelve or so churches who help fund it. Um, we were able to get them to come out and and all meet with us out here in Phoenix. Um, perfect weather this time of year. Um, and we had two days where we literally talked about check-in, like all of the um, weird edge cases, use cases, <laughs> kind of f- trying to figure out where we're going in the future. But I think what was really fun is just having all the churches in one space and having them hear each other talk about all the different edge cases. Um, I think it was an eye-opener for, for many of them uh, that, you know, it's often that we see our own edge cases, but when we see the the the, the amount and of all the edge cases stacked up with each other, and some of them are in conflict. So it's kind of fun to hear churches. No, we can't make it work like that. It has to work like this. And this is kind of cool to actually sit back for a second and just let that happen. And because we that happens to us all day, right? You know? Yeah. So their eyes are open to that's our <laughs> world that we live in. Yeah. So that that's a big thing that's that's going on. Um, that is a the goal is to have that done by the end of the year. You may have seen a survey we put out um, recently about check-in, and that was our way of uh, obviously the you know the twelve churches that are help funding this you know gigantic project. The course they have, you know, their input matters, mm-hmm. but the entire community's input matters too. And that survey was another way of of letting everybody have a chance to um, just let us know how they're using check-in, so that we know, and if they have any ideas, they can put them in there. But again. The phase one is not about adding new things to check in. It's just getting us uh, across the line into the next gen platform and increasing speed, um, but also doing it in a way that it's going to be a little bit more flexible in the future. So when we do want to innovate, you know, there's that capability there. There'll be a couple of little micro features that we, we're adding based on you know some of the stuff we heard in our two day, um, but that's a big thing. Also, too, we've been uh, switching gears a little bit, working a lot on, on Maui for. Uh, Rock Mobile, and we've made great progress there. The team has done an exceptional job uh, getting Maui ready. Um, but we're also taking this um, opportunity uh, to do a little bit of UI polish in, in Rock Mobile. Right now, you know, it's very customizable. You can make it kind of look like anything you want. But out of the box, it's a little bit like our Stark theme on web. It, you know, it's pretty plain. And it requires you to style it and get it to what you want. And so we're trying to make it come out of the box um, in a really nice, pleasant state. Um, and so we're going back and refactoring a lot of, of blocks and a lot of the um, UI design system. And so we feel like this is a great opportunity because Maui is a huge shift. As you go take your app from where it is today and Xamarin Forms to Maui, there will be a little bit of adjusting you have to do to your app. And we have a guide that kind of helps you with that. Some apps may not need any adjusting. If you have a complex app and you've done some really complex styling, there might be a couple little like nuances that you need to do. We've already done a couple apps ourselves just to practice and make sure that we understand it all and, and polish out any places that we can. But since you're going to have to do that to go to Maui, we feel like this is the time to actually maybe even change a few of the styling points so that you just have to do that once. If we were to get you through Maui and then the, and in version six or seven, all of a sudden you had to do it again, 
that might be a little frustrating. So we're kind of taking this time to to do that. And we're we're really excited about whether it's going to uh, allow for the Rock Mobile folks. So another topic that's been going on in the in the um, blog posts and uh, just in the general community is this whole new Google bulk sender requirements uh, initiative that they've pushed out. I think it's important to understand that you know Google is the giant in the email space and <laughs> they're a little bit like a gorilla. Um, they're very powerful. You don't want to mess with them because all your email goes through it. Um, and they're trying to do something which I think at the end of the day is a really good thing. But they're having to twist some arms and they're being very gorilla-like with it, which is that they're going to put out these new bulk requirements where if you send more than 5,000 emails in a day and the definition of that is uh, intentionally nebulous on their part and, and for good reasons, I guess, um, then you have to follow some special rules. And if you take these rules and you put them into two categories, they're basically about email protection so there's some configuration you need to do on your um, uh, configuration of your email, um, basically mostly in, inside of your DNS. And you know there's some good write-ups by um, some partners in the Rock community who have really addressed what does that really mean. So reach out, find those. Um, and so that, that revolves around um, things like uh, DKIM and some other things. But it's pretty easy. You know, just go make some changes to your settings and you, you, you'll be good. The big one, though, is the other uh, bucket, which is what they call the one-click unsubscribe. Now, this is a good idea. It makes unsubscribing from email super easy um, and you know, will really improve that, that user experience. Unfortunately, they're being very guerrilla like it, and it's like you have to have it done. They announced it, I think, in sometime in October. And in February, right now, they're going to start to require it. Now, they're moving at a brisk pace, I think unreasonable by many people's standards. But at the same time, if you don't, nothing happens. That's true. So I think it's very unreasonable. But at the same time, I get it. Like there's things that we have to do in our community that some people would think would be unreasonable. But if you don't do it and if you don't put it in a certain way, like it's, it's never going to get done. Um, I think, though, that the gorilla, like a real gorilla, sometimes it's... Uh, you know, the bark is worse than the bite. Um, now, what they're saying publicly, which we have to kind of go by that, I think they're going to be kinder behind the scenes, but they can't say that, is that in February they're going to start warning people if, mm -hmm. if they don't have this. How do you know about the warnings? They don't really tell you a lot about that either. What we would recommend is that you make sure that you're using the Google Postmaster tools. That's probably where those warnings are going to be showing up. A lot of this has not been you know, insanely documented. It's not clear, but that is the place that you probably want to go to look for those warnings. Now, you might be going, what is Google Postmaster tools? Great question. It's a great set of tools that they provide you where you can start to peer in and see what your spam um, ratios are, percentages are. Um, so you know if you're kind of in this problem, like 3%, if you, if you have more than 3% spam. Um, and you have some visibility into that. It's just a good thing to have no matter what. And uh, again, there's a partner who has a, a whole blog post on how to set that up and get it configured. Um, it's pretty it's pretty easy. Um, it's a little intimidating as you go through it, but if you follow the guide, it's really the steps are pretty easy. So immediately go do that. Like now there's other things that you know will we have access to that through into rock? We don't know. 
But we have access to that um, through a Mailgun or SendGrid. We don't know. Those are things we're still researching. So, you know, keep your eyes on the blog, keep your eyes on the podcast. As we know more, we'll be sharing that. But a lot of this is people moving really fast, not sharing a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're trying to keep up. But the big thing is really those features that you need, the one-click unsubscribe. Yes. So to enable that feature within the, the Mailgun user experience, we have to provide some more details in all the emails that we send. So email is a little bit like uh, web traffic in that as the email travels through the internet, there's little headers on top that no one sees that gives it like a little bit of metadata about the email. And there's some new metadata items that we need to plug in some, you know, very specific values into those. And when we do, when Google gets the email, puts it into to the user experience for the person, they can enable a little button that's their button, not our button, outside of the email that basically says unsubscribe. And when you click that, it'll automatically uh, and auto magically uh, unsubscribe you uh, from that email. So they didn't give us a lot of time to do this and they didn't give us a lot of details, but we've done a ton of research and a ton of development and we think we have that all right. I mean, there's no validator for this, you know. Um, that would have been nice if they had a validator thinking about that. <laughs> you know, that would have been really, really nice. Um, uh, but that is in 16.3. So it's important that you get to 16.3 if you, if you fall into that category of sending more than 5,000 emails in a day. Um, to Gmail, right? I to mean, Gmail. Because they only see Gmail. Yeah, true. So, so if you're a church of 5,000, you probably don't have all 5,000 of your church members on Gmail. Right, but do consider if, you, if your attendance <clears throat> is 5,000, yeah. you might be sending 15,000 emails. So right. just go go through your communication history, look for emails. If, you, if you're sending over probably seven to 8,000 you might want to be interested. If you're under 70,000, don't worry about it. Um, although eventually this will probably be rolled out m- more widely, so you, you do need to. A couple questions on that. 16.3, okay, what if are you backporting this to 15 to 14? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, we cannot backport all these major features to every version. This is why we have versions. This is why, um, I mean, the whole version system you know, exists is that new stuff comes out on new versions. We've been very kind in backporting, you know, bug fixes, security patches, you know, that's, that's typical. We can do that. Um, a really teeny tiny micro feature, you know, if a church is funding it and they need it on old version, like sometimes we do that too. But for a feature like this, so we simply cannot backport these to major other major releases, which is another really important reason why you need to stay up on, on these versions. Um, now you might be saying, tell me more about this timeline that Google's put out. So from what we can gather, you know, this kicks in in February. So that's welcome to February. (laughs) Here Um, we are. At this point, you should only be getting warnings though. Nothing bad should be happening. You should only be getting warnings. And again, we don't know where those warnings are going to show up. We imagine that's going to be in the postmaster tool. I can't imagine they would not, not be in the postmaster tool. We're going to go get more guidance on how we can get that through Mailgun and get that possibly into Rock, um, or at least be able to point you to the Mailgun the logs that will kind of mm. tell you that. So further for, for the information coming on that. In April, what they're saying is they're going to start to lightly block this. So if you go over those limits, um, 
what they're saying is 25% of, of, of those emails um, will be considered to start lightly blocking. And what they call lightly blocking, which doesn't make sense to me, is they're going to take a percentage of the 25%. But what they're saying, a small percentage of the 25% will start to get blocked, which I don't know why they say a percentage of a percent. Like, why don't you, I don't know. But in June, supposedly, <laughs> full block. Yes. That, now, my opinion, this is straight up opinion, is they'll probably be kinder than this. Um, you always, you know, communicate stronger than you plan. But majority of email platforms cannot ca cannot keep up with this pace. You know, Google can't be a good email platform if they're consistently throwing everything into into spam or blocking it. Like the people will revolt, yes. and they don't want that either. You know, so I think it's good that we follow these guidelines and we and we and use that as the worst case. But also, I don't think we should overreact. Um, simply put, there's a million other like. Uh, products like rock in this mm -hmm. in this uh, situation and there's absolutely no way they're going to be able to respond even in 2024 to these requirements it's going to take 2025 2026 so we're not being like that we're taking this very seriously we've been moving at a very brisk pace the amount of code and engineering and thought that's gone into this is like mind-boggling so you know when you think at the end of the year like oh like what all did you get done like <laughs> most of the stuff we got done like it's stuff that no one even knows and we hadn't even planned. Right. That's so true. Isn't which, that fun? Which is another good reason why when someone says like, hey, where's the roadmap for rock? It's like, <laughs> right. It will be out. If only it was that easy. It. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, if, if we were strict by a roadmap, this would have gone on the roadmap to be considered in, in October and we'd probably get to it, you know, sometime at the end of this year. Yes. You know, because we have to finish the roadmap. We got to be, you know, follow the roadmap, the predictable roadmap. So, again, this, that's why we don't do those things because they end up to be more lies than they are well-intentioned lies. Mm -hmm. But um, I think any product that's trying to be innovative and responsive, a firm roadmap, it, roadmap is a, is basically a lie, unintended lies. So that's what we know about Google bulk sender. But we had more fun in January, didn't we? Oh yes, January was lots of fun. It seems like every month this has its own challenges. That's true. So again, another thing that kind of takes time that no one ever thinks about is you know bot attacks, the Russians, which <laughs> I think is very interesting. If you considered like what our world could be like if we didn't have to worry about viruses, bots, spam. Wow. I mean, we could get so much more done. Productivity, worldwide productivity would skyrocket. But that's not the world we live in. <laughs> so if you hadn't heard. Um, several churches were hit by a bot attack um, in January. And what these bots were doing was basically putting new records into the database through mainly through the new registration block, like the new account registration block. Um, some really interesting details about that, which we won't get into, which makes it just interesting that that all happened on the same day and on two different technology platforms within our platform. But Anyways, um, so what happened is these churches had like thousands of people added to their database. Um, all obviously not real people. Like it's pretty clear that and predictable and, and pretty easy to, to, to report on, a little harder to delete. And so, you know, a lot of people had to go through and clean that up. So on our side, what we've been doing is trying to figure out, okay, how do we get the CAPTCHAs to block that? Um, now, some of the 
older web form blocks didn't simply didn't have captcha ironically the captcha for obsidian the new next gen uh, platform was put in and was going to be a part of 16.3 so the work was already done but it wasn't available um but in analyzing those attacks um whoever whoever like created the the script for it obviously had it was hu humanly done like they were looking like how, how do we actually go around the ui and and um so we i, I think what we had in 16.3 probably would not have prevented it but actually seeing it we actually added an additional guard to it so it it will take that into account and the interesting thing is we actually added that in a way in the future we'll be able to add that to all the blocks um a certain level of what we're calling bot guardian um, to them. Now, this is something that's not completely done yet. So mm -hmm. just to level expectations, but it's something we're actively working on. Um, I think it also led to some other interesting insights um, around um, what we might be able to do in the future in terms of rate limiting in a more intelligent way based on country codes. Um, so did a lot of research on, onto that and it might actually make some changes into our geolocation features, mm. um, where we take IP addresses and turn them into addresses. You know, right now that requires a service. We might be able to, um, get rid of that service and do it in real time. And so the request on the request in lava, you could actually say, if this person is in Sweden, then, you know, do this, do something. So some cool new features might come out of it in the long term. But not exactly expected when we were planning our January for this year. <laughs> for sure not. <laughs> but I think as it relates to that, I think it's good to know that if you, if you weren't hit by it, you know, say a small prayer of Thanksgiving. Um, but know that we're taking extra steps to prevent that. I think a few things we can learn from this, though. Um, and let's talk about best practices. That went over really well last time. Yes. So like, let's take another swing at that. Um, the best practice here, and this and this was one that you know was on our roadmap of best practices to talk about, and I, I think we actually talk about two today. One is CDNs, content delivery networks. You need one. It used to be like, oh, it'd be nice, and then it was, well, if you're big, you 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 might need one. These kinds of bot attacks, it, it really you know shows that you, this is another reason why you need a CDN. Now we might be able to add some features into the application to help help with this, but that technically is the wrong place for that level of of logic. So if you if you have maybe a formal uh, education in, in technology, one of the things that you learn about is the OSI um, seven layer model, and that talks about like how wh where does logic belong in any type of, type of technical application, and it starts um, the levels start at the very bottom which is the physical layer, which is like the copper wire that, or, or fiber optic wire that um, the internet uses or our networks use. And it goes all the way to the top to the application layer, which is our, our code, like our C-sharp code. And there's all these levels in between. This type of traffic shifting and filtering and, and um, um, belongs at a lower level. It doesn't belong in the application level. Like we do caching there. We do lots of things that make rock faster, but... This type of thing really belongs um, in, in your network infrastructure in the CDN level. So Rock shouldn't have to be worrying about like, 
I got all this stuff to do. I got to like figure out your data. I got to get your data. I got to know what that means. I got to trigger this workflow. And now I got to like watch all this traffic too. Like what else do you want me to do? (laughs) You know, that's the network infrastructure's job to go, oh, wait, you know, I I, I look at, I'm seeing some traffic here. It doesn't look right. Let me just do some stuff for you. And Rock's like, thank you. I got my hands busy over here. So the CDN is one technology that can help with that. And, you know, the CDN that, you know, I'm most familiar with and that, you know, we use to help with churches um, actually has a little one click feature. Like what country do you want to block today? Oh yeah. Okay. Norway. Yeah. We don't like them today. (laughs) (laughs) Block them. Now that's a a, a kind of a primitive way of, of blocking. You know, there's a, there's a more like um, advanced way they're called web application firewalls, which are much more using heuristics and looking at the traffic and saying, oh, well, it's from Russia, so like strike one, but I'm not going to block it. Oh, now it's like spamming the server. Oh, strike two and three, you're out. Um, And so you might think, well, this is a lot of technology and technical speak. Well, you know, welcome to digital ministry. You know, (laughs) it's as if if you're in the band and you're like, well, I mean, how... The audio engineers, you know, for your worship teams, I mean, they they know a lot of stuff that I don't want to hear about, right? But if we didn't, if they didn't do it and they didn't do it right, I wouldn't have the same experience. In fact, I'd have a very different experience. And so that's just the nature of the beast. Now, you don't necessarily have to know it yourself, but you need to get and engage with someone who does. And so I think CDNs highly important. Another thing, though, I said two best practices. The other best practice and I'm very passionate about this one, is read your IIS logs. Like, there's just a goldmine of insight into those logs. I read IIS logs, usually not my own. I read other people's IIS logs because usually it's, there's a problem, and my go-to is to read the IIS logs. I thought it was interesting in the spot attack that a lot of people were doing reports in SQL. A lot of people were, you know, looking at a lot of things, but there weren't a lot of people looking at IIS logs. And that was my first thing: is like, give me the IIS logs. Like, I need to see the IIS logs. And by looking at the IIS logs, a lot of insight was gleaned that I don't think people knew about until we got to the IIS logs. For instance, that they were actually jumping over the UI and making requests directly back to the back end. So you might say, well, how do you determine that? Well, every web request has a different method. Um, as you go to a web page, it's a get. That's the method. Get me something. But as you go to actually make a data update, it's usually a post. So that's like, hey, go put this in a database. Post this to the journal in the database. Well, if you look in the IIS logs, there is zero gets, and they're all posts. So for a bot, you're like, hmm, how did you know to post that? You didn't even go to get. You didn't even go get to the UI to get it. So that immediately told us that this was a different type of attack than I think most people were thinking. And that's why reading the IIS logs is so important. And I wouldn't wait till there's a bot attack. Like, in my opinion, every organization should look through their IIS logs at least every other month, maybe every month. Now, you might think, well, okay, well, these, these files are huge. What am I looking for? Well, that's a good question. Personally, I think there's... Um, a perusal of the log, like a scanning of the log that's super important. So early in my career, I was more mainly Unix-based. Um, and so in Unix, there's a tool called uh, cat and then a tail. 
there's a two command lines. And when you tail a file, like it's like zipping by, you know, if you ever watching one of those hacker movies and all this, this stuff's going by, <clears throat> that's basically recreating like a, you know, a tail where, where the log files is, you're seeing it in real time as it's going. And you, you could be like, well, you can't read that. It's like, well, you can't, but your brain starts to find patterns. You're like, Ooh, what's that? You establish a baseline of what's normal too. Right. You start to get a feel for your logs. Like for instance, if you, if you, if you send me your logs today, I can within like a few seconds tell you whether you turn off your check-in check-ins or not. Like it's a good practice to turn off your check-ins when it, when you're, you know, during the week, you know why? Well, it saves power, but it also puts a lot of load on your rock server and it's easy to see that traffic because they're just nailing your, your rock server. And there's a lot of things in the log and you can see the pattern just with your eyeball. You can't read it, but you can see the pattern like, oh, you got your check-ins on. But in looking through this, I actually um, found another problem with an, a specific church where maybe their mail gun was doing some unsuspected traffic from mail gun. And so maybe there's a configuration issue there, or maybe they just sent out a humongous email. I don't know, but definitely you could see something's not quite right with Mailgun configuration. Um, now that could have gone on, that could be going on for days, weeks, months, or it could maybe be the first time, but that's an insight you need to like track down. Um, and you only get that in the logs. Um, so if you have a partner, ask them, are you looking through my IS logs? Um, they should be. And if, if you have an internal team, you should put that on your, you know, every two months, like you take your car to get an oil change. You should, you should just check through your IS logs. Now you might say, well, you know, how do I do that? The easy part is just open them up and just scan through it in notepad, like, and just run it, like run it real quick up and down, like scroll and just look for patterns and then stop and then start going through and looking for different things and different insights. That's helpful. Um, there's not a lot of great tools for helping you parse those files and understand them. Um, so much so that it frustrates me every time I have to go do it. Um, there is one tool I use that's mainly, it's made just for that, but I swear it was made like in the nineties <laughs> and it's, it's very slow and very tedious and hard to use. So every time I have to use it, I'm a little bit frustrated. So this time I started, and over the last couple of times I've looked at it, I've tried to like start at creating some tools uh, so in my own time, I, I create a little IIS parser that will turn them into comma delimited um, value uh, files, CSV files, because the IIS uh, log format is a little strange. Um, it's not not very easy to parse. Um, so I create this little utility. I'll probably post it out there for somebody if they want it. That's unsupported. Um, <laughs> but it'll take a whole bunch of log files, convert them into a single CSV file, and it'll actually append a whole bunch of information onto it. So it'll append in like what country it came from, what state it came from. It'll add some like date fields that makes it a little easier to like um, do some analytics on. And it'll also uh, uh, clean up the user agent. So it tells you what platform it was on. And then I'll also share a very, very basic template that you can use Power BI to bring in that CSV file and start to do some reporting uh, with it. Um, now you might say, well, I can't afford Power BI. Well, you can just use the free one. Like mm. just download the desktop version and you can use it and it's a starting point. So I'll post that at some point on Twitter. So just follow me there and I'll, I'll tell you where it's at. Um, if, it, if it helps you, great. Um, but it helps me, like I'm looking forward to parsing my next IIS log. Well, kind of not, but. 
But when I do, it'll be like more than you would have looked forward to it. Right. So, um, but best practices, CDN, reach out if you need more information on that. Uh, IAS logs, like look at them. Uh, I find them actually really fascinating. I always leave with some interesting insight. Uh, another good thing you can see in there, 404 errors, like how many 404 errors are you getting? And like, you need to go clean those up, you know, little things like that. All right. Well, those are some very good best practices and helpful for people that may not have their feet in that world or in those waters every day. Consider if who on your team might be the person for that. Do you have a partner that helps with that? But don't ignore it just because it isn't necessarily in your lane. So great tips. Thanks, John, for that. Yeah. So Rx coming up. Rx is coming up. Yes. So um, it's always coming. It's either coming or here. Um, and it's not quite here, so it's coming. We're really excited about it this year. Uh, definitely pay attention to that hotel. The, we're going to be at the same hotel we were the last couple of years. Now they are just finishing up some renovations. It's going to be an incredible space. And um, the hotel is selling out. So it's already more than half full for our event. So if you don't have your room booked and you don't want to walk across the parking lot from another hotel, uh, you want to experience that all day into the evening community experience make sure to book those rooms there what's the average temperature in august to walk across the <laughs> the parking lot oh in? it's gonna be boiling at the asphalt mm. level yeah probably 112 120. probably on asphalt or higher well yes. if you're on asphalt but yeah it's hard to measure that yes they do fry eggs on asphalt sometimes out here as a little gig wear heat resistant shoes if you are at the other hotel don't do that just get your hotel room <laughs> But they are going quickly. You might not already have that on your agenda at this point in the year, but it should be. Additionally, we have some great discounts that are available. If you're coming in a group of five, seven, or 10, there are group discounts available. You can find a link in the show notes. And if this is your first RX event ever, we do have a discount for you as well. So reach out and let us know. We're excited to bring the community together for this again. And it is in August uh, and we're halfway there through the year. So let's make sure and rally and, and don't forget about that hotel. Don't forget about your tickets and make sure that the right number of your team are coming because this year we're having some special experiences for people in the areas of... Um, uh, finance and generosity. Um, if you're new to Rock, you're exploring or recently there, discipleship and engagement, and um, a lot of many other incredible experiences. We also have classes coming up. Uh, and again, these are ones you might want to share with other members of your team. Finance and check-in. So these are special virtual classes dedicated just to those subjects and the people that use those tools and rocks. They're excellent, may not be for you as you're listening to this podcast, but could be really helpful for some other members of your staff. So don't forget to invite them and pass that along so they can have the tools and training they need to have an excellent rock experience. Thank you so much for joining us for this Rockcast today. Um, we appreciate your listening and uh, tuning in. Make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget those best practices. Write them down and make them happen. Thanks for joining us. This episode of Rockcast is brought to you by Rock sponsor, Ministry Dynamics, a Wi-Fi presence and equipment provider. 
Connect with Ministry Dynamics today at rockrms.com slash sponsors.